0: Hi folks, glad you're here this morning. Um, we have uh, a part of the Bible that's in front of us, I'm really glad we're talking about this morning, I'm glad you're here to hear it. There's some topics that don't come up a whole lot in the Bible, but they're really important, and so we get to talk about um, some really important, wonderful things this morning. Um, so please keep your Bible open at 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5. Now, I'll have a bit of prayer before we start, that's a good practice, isn't it? I'll ask God to make this a worthwhile time. Um, Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us your word and thank you that you've uh, chosen the kinds of situations that uh, your prophets and apostles should have written about by your spirit. Pray now that today that we learn of our loving obligations we have to each other as family and that we'd uh, joyfully fulfill those things and work out how to uh, fulfill those obligations better. Amen. So it's always interesting praying beforehand where you just sort of tell people what the sermon's about in a prayer. Um, friends, the thing I want you to understand this morning is that Christians are a family. And I don't just mean that in a pretty, let's feel nice together, heartwarming type. No, literally, really, we are a family. That is what it means to be a Christian. Literally, really, to be a family. Here's the family. Jesus is the Son of God probably have heard that before I hope but he's utterly unique nobody else has that relationship to his father because God the father God the son have been a family for all eternity they're a family and God the father sent his son into the world to become a human being to save us but he didn't just die for our sins he did that it's wonderful and it's important it's very central he didn't just die rise from the dead so that we'd have eternal life with him as well that's utterly important it's essential it's central as well but the end goal of that was that we should be children of God that we should be adopted into his family. And this is what's mind-boggling, that we should, have, we should have, share the kind of relationship to the Father that Jesus the Son has with the Father. We'll have Jesus' relationship with the Father. We'll share Jesus' relationship to his Father. So if you read John's Gospel, for example, you hear Jesus over and over again talking about himself as the unique Son and the Father, uniquely his Father. It's, it's a unique relationship. Nobody else has this. But then he dies on the cross for the sins of the world, He raises from the dead, and then he comes and talks to some women, uh, some of his friends, and he says, go and talk to my friends and tell them this. And listen very carefully to what he says. Everything's changed after he's died and risen again. says, Jesus says to them, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. The universe has just changed. They are part of God's family now. So that's the privilege it is to be a Christian. Alongside Jesus, our brother, we share that relationship to the Father and part of God's family forever. And so we call God Father and it's the most remarkable privilege that we have. We really are God's children. It's also the basis for our relationships to each other. most basic way we talk about Christians in the Bible, brothers and sisters... But we're, we're peers, we're siblings of Jesus and we're siblings to each other. We have a far bigger family, far more relations than we kind of realise most of the time, I think. It literally makes you a sibling to me if you're a Christian, because I'm a Christian and if you're a Christian, you trust Jesus, we're related, we're in the same family, it's wonderful. And that has to define everything about how we relate to each other, because church really, really is a family and that's what the book of 1 Timothy is basically about, um, it's a real thing. Sorry, I had 1 John chapter 3 here as well. See what great love the Father's lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. So he's saying it's not just a nice title, it's what we are. Now, 1 Timothy uh, is talking about how we should live as a family. So in chapter 3, verse 14, if you've got your Bible there, flick it back a page from chapter 5, and you'll find chapter 3. And he tells us the purpose of the letter. And it's basically saying, hey, I want you guys to learn how to relate to each other as a family because uh, he uses that kind of language. He says uh, in verse, chapter 3, verse 14, Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing these instructions so that, if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, in God's family, which is the church of the living God. See, the idea, and I've shown this diagram before, get it in your head because it's a good way of imagining it, the church is the household of God, it's the big, the big house, and it's made up of other smaller Christian households, people that follow Jesus in, under their own roof with their own families, but there's a bigger family overarching all of that, which Christians are part of as well. And so it's already come up earlier in the book. So, example, in Chapter 3, it's part of the criteria for if somebody wants to be a pastor, they have to be able to do a good job at the lower level in order if they're going to do a pastor's job at the higher level as well. See how the analogy kind of works? It's an absolute necessity. What it's saying is uh, you can't be a bad father and a church pastor. Uh, it it's literally just means that. You can't, you can't be, um, not manage your household well and think you can manage the church well. It's, it's a contradiction because you've got to manage your own family well in order to manage the household of God family well. And so that idea is very important earlier. But Chapter 5 is about our responsibilities to each other, not just of pastors. Uh, and it's got some particular things it'll talk about. Um, before we get into that, I want to ask you three rude questions, uh, slightly rude questions. All right? Um, you have to give specific answers. You can't give general, vague answers, and you have to tell the person next to you what you think. What age is old? I told you it was rude. What age is young? And what age is the prime of life? It's only slightly rude. Come on! But you can't. You have to give numbers, okay, people? Numbers. I want numbers. I'm not going to ask you to yell it from the floor. Tell the person next to you though. All right, that's, uh, that's enough of that fun. Um, <laughs> I hope it's made you think about it. Um, here's what I suspect. I reckon your answer to that question, those questions, says a lot more about you than it does about anyone else. Is that probably fair in most cases? It's about me and about the relationship of other people to me, Right. Um, So I preached on a, I I have over the last 10 years or so preached on quite a lot of um, HSC study camps um, where I get to teach teenagers the Bible and challenge them to take Jesus seriously, it's wonderful. Um, I get older every year and they stay the same age, that's what happens. And and so this year, here's here's an intro question that I've um, asked for a lot of years for a particular talk which is, and first year this year I couldn't use it anymore. The intro question is this. Uh, can you remember where you were on September 11, 2001, when you heard? Every single year before this one, people have been able to answer that question, but teenagers, HSC students, this year were born in 1998. Yeah, no, that's the response we had. So, me and my friend went to Bible college together looking at each other like, man, they're young. Or the other side of that is, man, we're old. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's just relative, isn't it? Like, well, there's, it's not just relative. There is actually something objective about it. But old and young are very relative ideas. We think about people in relation to us. And so, what were you doing in 1981? Can you remember? Good. If you can remember, you're old because I was born then. <laughs> uh. You're clearly old, if you can remember what <laughs> you Anyway, it's, it's just a relative thing, isn't it? Because I'm very young to you. And, and that's going to define something about how we relate to each other. It's actually very important. It's not just relative in a way that you can ignore. It's relative in a way you have to take seriously. Have a look at chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, and you'll see why this is really important to recognise. Chapter 5, 1 to 3, it says, Do not rebuke... This is to Timothy, who's a relatively young man. I don't know how old, but he's younger than some people in this church, at least. Uh, It says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Verse 3, give proper recognition or literally honour widows who are really in need, is what it says. That is entirely based on working out the relative age between Timothy and the people he's relating to. Because Timothy has gone into Ephesus, he's been called to be a Christian example to them and sort out false teaching and stuff that's going on, um, but he can only do that as Timothy, which means he's a man, he's a man of a certain age, yeah? That means that's going to define how he relates to other people rightly. Uh, two questions, what kind of relationships do Christians have with each other? We've done this in the sermon already, what's the, what's the basic relationship we have? Brothers and sisters, family, any of those words are good, yet we're a family, we're brothers and sisters. Now... What is the big commandment about parents in the Old Testament? What's the big commandment? Honour your mother and father. Have a look at the words he's used here. He's been very careful. Treat older men as fathers, treat older women as mothers. Honour, it's the same word as the commandment, the Ten Commandments. Honour widows, honour those older ladies who are older than you. It's got to define his relationships. Older Christians are part of my family, and that means if they're older than me, I need to honour them as having a kind of a parent level age status in relation to me in the household of God. We all do. We need to be careful how we relate to people of different generations. We need to honour people who are older than us. It's an idea our society's pretty well forgotten. Churches must not forget that because we're a family. It's very important. It's the same with widows, wasn't it? Honour the widows. It's the, it's the commandment. Treat them like the mums in the church family. It's pretty important because they're the mum age mums in the church household of God. Friends, I, I uh, hope that means that we'll, and I think we do a reasonable job of this, we, we've got people of different ages in this congregation. I think it's a wonderful thing. It's a really wonderful thing. And the relative ages that we are means something about how we relate to each other. It means we, those who are older than us, we don't ignore them. We need to treat them with honour and respect in the way we ought to treat our parents. And we'll treat them different. I'll say it like this. It'll mean we treat people who are older than us different to the, how we treat people who are teenagers at the same time as us, or around the same, same decade as us. You get, you get the idea? People who have that, that step above. It's very, very important. Because we're family. I think it's wonderful we've got lots of ages here. It's actually uh, very important because in the Bible, the picture we get of church all along is it's multi-generational. And it's important because it's a family and people of different ages relate to each other. I just want to go on a quick tangent on this because it's very important for us to think about, I think. Um, a lot of you will have come from churches that have seen this pattern. There's three church services, one at 8, one at 10 and one at 7. At 8 o'clock, the elderly people go. At 10 o'clock, the young families go. And at 7 o'clock, the teenagers and 20-somethings go. yep. There's obvious advantages to doing that, okay? I'm not having a go at it. We have to think about it very carefully, though, because in the Bible, church is multi-generational, and there's very important reasons for that. Here's some practical ones. I've been involved in youth services at more than one church. At more than one church, there's young people there, young teens, 20-somethings, and I want them to grow up in Christian maturity and grow up in general. It's very hard when there's no adults in the room. Yeah? Apart from the preacher. (laughs) They've got to have examples of the next stage of life. I've seen the opposite problem at 8am church. As elderly people who struggle with health issues and various practical aspects of life, it would be great if they knew some energetic young people who could do some practical tasks for them. I love them in that way, but they don't know any because we've segregated things. I don't want to have a go at that way of doing church. We need to navigate this very carefully because as we get bigger, we're going to have to 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 split services and we're going to split people up and, and we're going to have to think carefully about how we do that because it is immensely valuable to know Christian people in the family of God who are older than you and who are younger than you and it, it's, it's really that important have a listen to the Apostle Paul's own experience I just, this is one of those things at the end of a book of the Bible you just ignore listen to what he says though great Rufus, is chosen in the Lord and his mother who has been a mother to me too that can't happen unless you know some older ladies who aren't literally a mum yeah that's why it's important Now, did you notice in chapter 5, verse 1 to 2, there's there's four groups there. um, Two of them, he's told to pay a little bit more attention to. He's given a bit more detail. He's told, pay pay particular attention to how you relate to older men. There's a bit more detail about that. And particular attention to how you relate to younger women. Because those are the relationships he's most likely to stuff up, right? Think about it. How can he stuff up relating to older men? He's coming in with authority to fix this church up. He can, he can stuff it up by not respecting them. Exercising his authority in a way that fails to reflect the fact that they have sort of a, a father age status in relation to him. Uh, he mustn't get that wrong. He needs to do it in a way that isn't harsh, but exhorts him as he would a father, that honours him. I just want to say, Stuart and I are both younger than many of you, and we're going to try and do that really well. If we fail to do that, we invite you to come and talk to us we want to respect people who are older than us we need to exercise our role as pastors really carefully and that means exercising authority and correcting and even rebuking sometimes but we need to do it in a way that reflects the fact that people who are older than us are honored can I say that so please uh we invite you to talk to us about that if we we fail to do that at any point um younger women why does he have to pay particular attention to how he relates to younger women it's pretty obvious isn't it because he might catch a young lady's eye, a young lady might catch his eye, or he might relate to a young woman in a way that opens him up to being accused. And so Paul's not naive, what's he say? Verse 2, younger women treat them as sisters with absolute purity. Teenage teenage boy comes up to me, says, hey Matt, uh, how far is too far? I say, imagine she's your sister. Yeah, that's what it says, and I'm almost completely serious about that but well, that's a topic for a different, a different day but that's the point isn't it it's women as sisters with absolute purity now can I just say we'd be naive if we thought this was just a command for hormonal teenagers can we say it's not just for hormonal teenagers it's actually a model for relating to peers of the opposite sex of any age from high schools up to nursing homes it really is we need to relate to peers of the same age uh, sorry People who are around the same age as us, who are the opposite sex, relate to them as brothers and sisters, because that's what they are, with absolute purity. Put uh, appropriate boundaries on relationships, so it reflects that reality. That's what he's getting at. Younger men, we need to treat one another as brothers. We are peers in Jesus' family, um, so we need to work at that as well. Now, we're going to get further into the passage. Um, There's a whole lot of stuff here, and here's where it starts sounding you're going, wow, this is really foreign and strange. Um, What I'd actually like to do is try and just summarise what Paul's advice is to them for their specific issues, because a lot of it's kind of time-bound, and then I want to talk about some really important principles we have to think about ourselves and apply really well. Um, Because you read it, and there's some things that seem strange, and there's some things that seem a bit offensive, frankly, um, to some of us. Um, particularly when it's telling young women to go get married and work in their house instead of receiving support um, or why widows have to have particular qualifications or be a certain age or that sort of thing. Um, let me give you an overview of what's going on. Now, in their society, everybody worked really, really hard, okay? Everyone. <laughs> women worked hard. Men worked hard. Uh, women t- men typically had very labour-intensive jobs. Women typically had lots of jobs related to household functioning, practically but that was uh, more involved than it is today. Uh, You might grind flour, bake bread, cook, clean, wash, all without mechanical devices. Just imagine. Try and go three days without using mechanical devices for any of those tasks. Gosh. spin, weave, sew your clothes, fix clothes up, that sort of thing. And then there's outside the house, you've got to fetch water from the well, you've got to get firewood probably. Most likely you would do some work in the fields in a lot of places. You might sell your produce in the market and perhaps you'd serve as a midwife or a nurse for other women having babies in the community because there isn't a hospital to go to. I mean, like, you serve as a midwife for your friends. Life's full of hard work for everyone. And so most people didn't have career choice. Nobody did. They did what it took for life to work, and so they relied on each other to fulfil their jobs, fulfil their roles, and make community work at a practical level. Now, I just want to say, frankly, many of the concerns we bring to this passage are things that only rich people can afford to care about, okay? Job satisfaction, career choice, chosen lifestyle, and those things kind of being driving concerns for our identity, those are rich people concerns. If you live in this society... You aren't in a position to to even think about those things. You make life work. And so we read chapter 5, verse 14, and it says, So I counsel younger women to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. See the end bit? What he's saying is we need to rely on each other. And if people don't do their job, it's the Christians who are going off and not being reliable to those who are relying on them in the community that's bringing slander on Jesus in this particular society. Can you see how, how that's working? It's, it's, we need to think into their world. The other thing is there was no welfare. So we start talking about uh, widows in need. Need to realise no Centrelink, no pension, no uh, superannuation. Retiring means become dependent on other people. That's just what it means. Rely on other people for your sustenance, for your needs, for all those sorts of things. But it's absolutely striking the difference in it to our society. See, in our society, people say, I could not be a burden to other people. I mustn't be a burden to other people. In their society, everyone expected you to take up the burden of caring for your dependent relatives, and refusing to do so was utterly appalling. Have a look at verse 8, and it's basically just saying, everyone, Jews know this, Romans know this, Greeks know this. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. What that's about is... Most Roman citizens and Greek citizens, they know that you should do that as well, let alone Christians who are answerable to Jesus. We need to look after our family because there isn't a welfare system to do it for them. And so it was very costly. Houses were very full, a lot of people to support. Here's the big questions that start coming up. Who am I obligated to support in life? That might sound like a cutthroat question. Who am I obligated to support? Who is our household responsible to? Who is our church responsible to? This is a question you ask when you have 10 sandwiches in your hand and 50 mouths to feed, right? Who should they rightly rely on, these people? Should they rely on us? Is that the right person to feed them and to be obligated to serve them first? The second thing we need to bring up is one of the biggest groups instantly were elderly widows because most landowners, not all, were men um, and with no welfare system, elderly widows who didn't have usually marriage prospects in the community uh, didn't have households to go back into unless their children took them in. And if they had no children to take them in, that was a big problem. The first administrative problem in the church, if you read Acts 6, was how do we look after elderly widows really well? Because they're the big group in the society who can't look after themselves. And so Paul's going to teach us some priorities about looking after each other and who has an obligation to who. Um, part of that is not being taken for a ride. As you read the passage, I'll just tell you a couple of things. You can read it later and make sense of it. He's saying you need to establish, are they really in need, they can't go elsewhere, and are they really a Christian because we have obligations to the church family and not not an same obligation to those outside. Um, and there's a sign-up list in verse 9, which is basically signing up some of these widows at a certain age to be looked after for the rest of their life. Um, don't do that for younger widows. They have other opportunities, other options at this point. Um, and the danger they're seeing in their community is Younger widows who don't have to look after themselves anymore and contribute are becoming busybodies and, 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 and doing terrible things in the community. They're using their leisure time badly rather than contributing. So that, that's basically what's going on in the passage. Um, here's what I'd like us to think about because it's very, very practical for us. Here we go. Um, we need to distinguish between fulfilling obligations and generosity, right? Right? An obligation is something we have a duty to fulfill. Generosity is something we're free to choose to do or not to do. It's completely up to us. We're not bound to give. So if the Australian government asks me for my taxes, I have a duty to, an obligation to give them taxes. If the New Zealand government asks me for taxes, I laugh at them and crack a joke about sheep. See, obligations, generosity, I don't want to be generous to the New Zealand government, but there's people who I don't have obligations to, and, I, uh, and so I can be generous to them, but they can't be demanded of me. Now, in life, there's lots of relationships we can't opt out of. Here they are. Here's four at least. We can't legitimately opt out of them. There's obligations built into these relationships that you can't choose out of. They're real bonds of relationships created by God, and we're called to lovingly fulfil them. So I give my kids food that I earned, Uh, that isn't me being generous to them. That's me fulfilling my obligation to be a dad. Here's the problem. Um, In our society and in our experience, I know many of you have suffered the heartbreak of many of these things, these relationships are opted out of all the time, (laughs) all of them. They're supposed to be firm and unbreakable uh, obligations of love. Often there's a long history of sin and brokenness that stops us doing that. Um, but the bottom line is we can't opt out of these. It's not how God designed things to be. We're called to live them out. They're the two things you've got to have in your head to make sense of the passage. There's obligations versus generosity, different things, and we have obligations within these kinds of relationships. Now, here's what the logic that's going on in the passage. There's a priority order to who we're obligated to. There's a household of God. We'll come to that in a minute. The first people I'm obligated to provide for is my own household. Have a look at verse 8 again. You've got the Bible open. First obligation, and this is a Christian obligation. It's not just some secular thing that isn't part of your Christian faith. It says anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially their own household, see who makes it the most important bit, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It couldn't be stronger, could it? Part of our Christian faith is looking after our own close relatives. Here's the second level of though. The household extends to elderly parents and grandparents and in fact any generations older who are still alive. The household extends. We have an obligation to our parents and their parents and as many living generations need our provision. Have a look at verse 4. If a widow has children or grandchildren, they should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice. See, it's a Christian thing to look after your parents and your grandparents and and so on. Um, To look after and put into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. Now, friends, we need to not mishear this. This isn't generous to look after our parents and grandparents. This is a family obligation under God. couldn't be stronger. We can't legitimately opt out of it. And so, again, the first commandment, honor your father and mother. When you're a child, that means obey. When you're an adult, it means be the kind of adult they can be proud of. And when they're elderly, it means provide for them because they once provided for you. That's what it means to honor your parents. And so they have an obligation, we have an obligation to them as part of our household, even if they don't live with us. Third level, though, there's church family. What about widows who don't have that? Well, they are part of a family if they're Christians. They can rely on the household of God. If those first two levels haven't provided for them, the third level must. There's a legitimate obligation then again. It's not generosity. We need to look, for, look after those who are under our church roof, so to speak, who are part of our family. And see, there's a priority order there. Last of all, there's generosity extended to those outside. But the primary thing is own household, then parents, grandparents, uh, church, family, then wider community. That's the order in which we have to provide for people, uh, the order of our obligations to each other. Now, it's very, we need to be very, very careful, friends, that we don't misunderstand the word provide, okay? Verse 8, it says, anyone who does not provide for their relatives. I have heard this verse used to justify the worst kinds of greed, really. Uh, I need to work seven days a week for as much money as possible to get a massive house to provide for my family. I literally heard some Christians sort of talk in those those terms. But you move forward to chapter 6, and you'll see what it means to provide. Have a look at chapter 6, verse 6. It says, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. For if we have food and clothing... Will be content with that pretty low bar isn't it be content with food and clothing and Jesus obviously and more than that with each other with the family that we're part of the whole way through it's the necessities of life but see it isn't a license for handing people over to impersonal welfare services when it comes to caring for our relatives it doesn't mean sending them a check in the mail and never relating to them Uh, It would be a terrible mistake to hear the Bible saying that. What it's talking about is providing by drawing people into household and family life, which is the context in which they'll be provided for. Not just practical needs. They need to be part of a family. And you know this. People need people. They need their family. And so we provide for them in that context. Look after them as part of the household, as part of the family. Now, let me give you some application for each level here. Um, First level, household. If your family's eating... And clothed. That's awesome. And I reckon we should thank God for it. <laughs> Make sure they are. If they're not, uh, you need to go down to the next level and talk to us. Um, but I reckon we should just be thankful for how wealthy we are, frankly. Um, and we need to relate to our households and look after them in that way. But here's the second level. I reckon the second level terrifies a lot of us. Uh, parents grandparents, part of the household. Uh, the natural application of the second level is... Realising that in the, at some point in the future it's pro, it could be the right thing for you to do to invite your elderly parents to move in with you so that they can have help without being isolated from their family. That could be the right thing to do. There's a lot of people, reasons people rule that out. Some are really uh, awful reasons but proper reasons like if it was an abusive parent that could probably be the very wrong thing to do to, to bring them that close again. But there's other reasons people rule it out. Sometimes it's a parent's problem, frankly. Let me say this. We've sucked in a lot of the utter nonsense individual philosophy of our time. It sounds like this. I couldn't be a burden to the kids. I couldn't be a burden to other people. Friends, please listen. Hear me say this. God designed us to be a burden to one another. That is what it means to be a human being. To have family relationships means to have obligations to each other we can't opt out of and we're supposed to joyfully experience life in the context of, as family, in those relationships and be a burden to each other because that's what it means to be family. We're not individuals. We have relationships and we should depend on each other. So, parents, I don't know if anyone here needs to hear this, but I want to say it in case somebody does. Parents, please don't be the problem that stops your kids honouring you by looking after you in your old age. Don't be the problem that stops that happening. I don't know if anybody in particular, that's a danger for them. But one day, God willing, I'll have three adult sons who want to look after me and my job will be to let them. Just Toby, if you're listening to this in 50 years, if I'm a cranky, cranky old man, this is revenge, mate. <laughs> this is the virtue of MP3. I'll save this one. There can be other issues to work through too. If we don't have a good relationship with our parents, the time to work that out is now so that by the time they need our help, we can relate to them better. Just to be clear, I'm not legislating that you have to have your parents move in with you. For one thing, it's not the best thing for every situation, particularly if they need forms of care you can't provide. But I will say a few things. Uh, If we take this seriously as a church, there will be more examples of this, I think, as life goes on. I think there'll be examples of this because often it's the best option. We need to be very cautious about outsourcing care unless it's a necessity, because often outsourcing care cuts people off from relationships and isolates them. There's different sorts of care. We need to be very wary of cutting people off from their families, from their households. And so we don't do bare minimum. We need to discern what's best for people. And what's best for people is relationships and being provided for in that that context. Um, On that point, uh, just be reflecting again, Um, Friends, we need to be very careful and recognise that elderly people can move from being happily independent and social to being isolated and lonely very quickly and very quietly. Yeah? We need to be aware of that, particularly if they're our parents, because that can happen without us noticing. And so we need to keep carefully weighing up how to best care for our elderly relatives as life changes and develops and be willing to expend ourselves to do what's best for them. Because it changes. We need to do our best at that. Friends, here's what I learned from this passage that I didn't know before. Level three, we have an obligation to each other we can't opt out of if we're in need. We can't opt out of. If someone in our church hits rock bottom legitimately has nowhere to go then we must make it happen for them. We must. They're part of our family. There's, there's no other way. And in a society like ours, we're so wealthy that we got no excuse anyway. See, friends, it would not be acceptable for us to simply express our concern for them and say, I will pray for you. <laughs> they got nowhere to sleep, they've got nothing to eat, and they're part of your family. they got somewhere to sleep, they got something to eat. It's literally what... John's pointing out here—he's not overstating it. He says, "If anyone sees has material possessions and sees a brother or sister, member of the family, in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, children of God, part of the family, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions, and in truth. It's meant to be taken seriously." We have obligations to each other, friends, to our own households, to our parents and grandparents, to our church family, and only then is an overflow of that to those outside. God's given us a family to look after each other and be a joyful burden to one another. I'm sure there's a lot of things to talk about about that. Um, how about I pray that we do a good job of that and, and work out work things we need to work out. Mm-hmm. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus who has that unique son relationship to you and yet shares it and made it so that we could be adopted into your family and so we call you Father and thank you that we're part of your family and we thank you that we're all part of the same family, part of the same household, your household. Please help us to look after each other in a real way. Please, Father, help us look after our own households, first of all in every way materially thank you for all the material benefits we have relationally and in leading them to follow Jesus those of us who are parents in particular leading them to follow Jesus please help us to fulfill our obligations also to our parents and grandparents and those who have gone before us that we need to honor well please help us to do that really well please help us have eyes to see what's best for those who rely on us and it wouldn't just be best for us or convenient please help us to do what's best for them and to draw them into family and household relationships that would be good for them. We pray, Father, that as a church family, we do that extremely well as well. Please prevent there ever being a situation where somebody in this church is in need in a real way, and we, we fail to be the household of God to them. Please help us be a family to each other. In Jesus' name, Amen.